Elections have consequences. Boy, did we get a lesson in that over the last few months. Colorado's General Assembly, which is the state Senate and the state House combined, they meet annually beginning in January and continuing for 120 days. That limit was set in 1988 after years of arguing over how long and frequent these sessions should be. There were nearly 700 bills introduced at the Capitol this year, 220 of them making it through the General Assembly to Jared Polis and are now waiting on his desk for sign-off, many of them anyway. The government takeover by the Democrat Party in Colorado is on overdrive. Polis had already grown the government by 25% in his first term. Coloradans just want to live our lives, do our own thing. But the overwhelming overreach added in just this one session will move us even further from freedom. But let's take a moment to celebrate some wins from the session. Yes, there were some. I want to start on a positive note and congratulate my dear friend Marilyn McLean for a huge win at the Capitol this year. She has been leading Moms Fight Back, the charity I founded back in 2013, and her tremendous efforts have led to the passing of two critical bills in recent years that are keeping children safe and addressing a corrupt family court system here. First, there was Julie's Law, named after her daughter, who was abused by the court system for years here, and second, Caden's Law, passed this session. Both bills focus on domestic violence training and oversight of the courts when it comes to children being abused and victimized by the courts. Another good bill that was passed, but not before some drama on the House floor, was House Bill 1135, which states that if signed by the governor, indecent exposure will be classified as a felony. That should be a no-brainer, right? As it is in the moment, child sex crime in Colorado is classified as a misdemeanor. In the past four years, 90 cases of indecent exposure in front of children have been filed statewide. The average age of the victim is 11 years old. The bill, sponsored by three Democrats and one Republican, received bipartisan support, but was only opposed by Democrats in the House. 27 Democrats voted against the bill, and only 18 voted in favor of it. Democrats voting against this bill, they should be ashamed Bills like the ones I just mentioned are the ones we Coloradans should be focused on, doing good things, making a difference for the children, for our communities, for the people of Colorado. The ones I'm about to mention, not so much. I've nicknamed the 2023 legislative session the session from hell. At least it was for those of us that appreciate a small, effective government that respects our freedom and our individual rights. I am proud of our Republican representatives and senators and citizen activists. I'm proud of everyone who testified and reached out to legislators. Because of this collective effort, they held off several very bad pieces of legislation, including Governor Polis's landmark housing bill that would have turned our neighborhoods into a hot mess across the state. With so, so many missteps by the party in charge, it was incredibly hard to pick bills to tell you about today that were good or bad. I'll go through the highlights, but I'll also link the full bill language on my Substack channel if you want to do a deeper dive. But proceed with caution, because reading these bills at length is certain to make your blood boil. It sure did make mine. So here is my list of the most terrible bills that passed in the session from hell, 2023. Remember, some of these have not been signed by the governor himself, but I haven't heard of any bills that he plans on vetoing. Let's start with some bills related to housing. House Bill 1255 would ban local growth caps and repeal the existing growth limit policies in place like in Boulder and Golden. Local control is always best, and this is a power move by the governor and his bureaucrats to override that. It's not cool, and most mayors, even Democratic ones, were opposed. Next, under House Bill 1233, home builders would be required to include electric vehicle charging infrastructure in newly built single-family and multifamily homes. Not interested? Too bad. They don't care. This drives up the cost of a new house for everyone, especially folks that don't drive electric vehicles. Let the free market do its thing. If someone is going to buy a new home and wants this feature, great. They can pay for it, but stop forcing your Green New Deal on everyday Coloradans. 
House Bill 1190 would make it possible for local governments to purchase multifamily properties defined as five units or more in rural areas and 15 units or more in urban and suburban areas that were built 30 years ago or more. The local governments would have to pay fair market value for the properties, but why on earth are local governments getting into the real estate investment game? That's nonsense. They can't teach our kids to read or write or make our roads drivable, but they are going to make big housing investments? Not sure who they think this will benefit, but I promise you it's not the consumer. It's not you and me. I know that. Now let's talk about skyrocketing property taxes and our precious Tabor refunds. Let's start with House Bill 1311. Colorado taxpayers will now receive a taxpayer's Bill of Rights refund check for one year only, just in time for you to lose your Tabor refunds forever. The change only goes into effect if Coloradans approve Proposition HH on the ballot this November. So it's trickery to get voters to do away with their own Tabor refunds going forward, their own ability to tell the government no when they want to stop spending and growing government. It's basically taking a dollar from your bank account, putting it in your own wallet, and calling it a good deal. It's smoke and mirrors. As if that doesn't attempt to bribe Coloradans to vote for the ballot measure, they're also pushing through House Bill 1290, which would sneakily ask Colorado voters in November to let the state keep about $24 million in tax revenue collected through tobacco and nicotine taxes for Colorado's new universal preschool program. If voters reject the proposal, the money will be refunded directly to the tobacco industry. Here we go with the drama. Polis is saying, fund my precious preschool program or the money goes to cigarettes. It goes back to cigarettes. But what about giving the money back to taxpayers and letting them decide what to do with it? Did that ever occur to them? Of course not. Now, let's talk about our kids. There is a lot to unpack here. House Bill 1003 is one of the most protested this session. Parents across Colorado are furious that schools are asking private, invasive questions of our children and deciding for themselves if our children need treatment, aka indoctrination sessions. This bill would create a mental health screening process for students in all public schools beginning in the sixth grade, asking very detailed questions about the children, their parents, their sexuality, their personal preferences. If they find that a student's assessment shows the school determines they need treatment, their parents would be notified and given information about therapy resources, but could not deny it if the school convinces the child that they really need it. Forget about parents finding the right option for their children or being in charge of their child's precious well-being. You and I both know that the student will get the desired treatment, a.k.a. indoctrination, that the bureaucrats want. They'll make sure of that. Parents' opinions be damned. It's just our kids' mental health. It's no big deal. Then there's House Bill 1249. This very controversial bill will grant immunity to 12-year-olds who rape other children, attempt to murder their classmates, and or commit other violent crimes, as well as reduce consequences for crimes committed by 13 to 17-year-olds. Pretty much everyone in the juvenile justice system disagrees with this bill, except the criminals and the politicians, of course. Senate Bill 188 already signed into law by Polis, protects people in Colorado who receive, facilitate, or provide abortion or gender-affirming care from criminal prosecution or lawsuits initiated in other states. Someone can bring a 10-year-old to Colorado to have a sex change operation or abortion without any consequences. Didn't we used to call that kidnapping? The law prevents state courts, law enforcement, and regulators from recognizing or participating in out-of-state criminal or civil investigations into abortions or gender-affirming care. Lovely. This leads me to the new abortion laws. Here in Colorado, we already have the most liberal abortion laws in the country. Abortion until a baby's birth date. No questions asked. And yes, it's true that women are having abortions here in the late weeks of pregnancy at record numbers. In the governor's race, I hope that we could come to a compromise as Coloradans, that the majority of us could agree that aborting a baby in the final weeks of pregnancy was intolerable. If a mother's health is at risk, deliver the baby. But there is no reason to kill a baby that can survive outside of the mom, especially with the rising infertility rates. Polis went all in on this, and now he's pushed the legislature even further. We are now an abortion tourism state, and he is proud that we have the most aggressive laws supporting abortion in the world. 
But there was more to do, more extreme measures to pass. Let's take a look. Senate Bill 189, it requires large employer insurance plans to cover the cost of abortions without policy deductibles, co-payments, or co-insurance starting in January of 2025. Now, the only ones exempt are government employers, as the state is not allowed to spend taxpayer dollars on abortions, and employers who claim abortion is against their sincerely held religious beliefs, for now. You know, there's only one bucket of money for business owners. The more programs and requirements the government forces them to take from that bucket, the less money there is to pay employees more and give them perks and keep costs low for customers. That's not even considering the moral dilemma this poses for businesses. This next measure is quite hypocritical in my opinion. Senate Bill 190 outlaws the abortion pill reversal treatment until the state's three medical boards determine whether the treatment is a generally accepted standard of practice. The boards have until October 1st to make a decision. So an abortion is considered safe for a baby in the womb, but a pill to reverse an abortion is concerning? Clear as mud. Yet, killing a baby in the final weeks of pregnancy, not concerning at all. The world has gone absolutely mad, especially our politicians. Let's look at some stats. Abortions completed by taking a pill account for over half of abortions in the U.S., over 60% in Colorado. There's also been a growing number of women who change their minds after taking the first pill of two that terminates the pregnancy. If a woman no longer wants to continue the abortion, they can use the abortion pill reversal process to stop it. But Polis and the Democrats, they can't stand the thought of a woman changing her mind. It's about choice until that choice goes against their agenda. What hypocrites? What are they so afraid of? It's just sick. And speaking of sick, let's talk about how the legislature just made our crime and drug problem far worse here in Colorado through the bad bills that they just passed. House Bill 1167 gives immunity from prosecution to those who have aided in someone else's drug or alcohol abuse. Now, Rather than it being a level three or level four drug felony, it would be a level one drug misdemeanor for someone to unlawfully distribute, dispense, transfer, or sell certain controlled substances, but only if the person reports the overdose, remains at the scene, and provides their identification to emergency responders. So don't worry about selling drugs to kids or to the homeless, Mr. Drug Dealer. If you just stick around while they die, we'll let you off the hook. What on earth are these people thinking? These are drug dealers. They are fully aware that their actions could kill someone before they distribute anything. But there's no accountability, no consequences. How many children have to die before we start taking this seriously? These lawmakers have lost their freaking minds if they think this is a tangible way to address our skyrocketing crime and drug problem. I'm sorry, but voters have also lost their minds to elect them. I met so many families that lost their loved ones to fentanyl poisoning and drug overdose. If only the politicians passing these insane laws would meet them and hear their pain, they sure as hell wouldn't pass a bill like this. Next up, House Bill 1100 would stop jails and law enforcement in the state from entering into renewing certain contracts with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement related to immigrant detention. Have any of the people at our capital in Denver watched what is happening at the southern border of our country? Just turn on the TV or watch the busloads of people coming into our state. Now, there are people who need our help. But have they taken time to talk to an ICE agent working on the southern border of Colorado about who's actually coming in and the drugs that are flowing in? We are experiencing a huge influx of illegal immigrants, not to mention the influx of drugs and human trafficking here. And they want to tie the hands of those on the front lines trying to keep us safe? The only logical conclusion is that Jared Polis and the Democrats are trying to make Colorado a haven for drugs and criminals. Yet people keep voting for more of this. It boggles my mind. Frederick Douglass said, A man's rights rest in three boxes. The ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. Law-abiding citizens that want to protect their rights, their property, and their families are having their rights stripped away in the name of keeping society more safe. The problem is, law-abiding citizens aren't the ones we need to worry about. And criminals certainly don't give a hoot about more laws telling them what to do. 
more restrictions and more big talk from the politicians, but not action that will actually make a difference. So here we talk about this year's big topic, guns. We already had some of the strictest firearm laws in the country in Colorado, yet crime and gun violence continue to skyrocket here. Why? Well, these feel-good laws that bloviating politicians point to make no difference in keeping us safe. Look at the data right here in Colorado. It obviously has not worked. Violent crime is out of control. Let's take a look. First, House Bill 1219 says that Coloradans will have to wait three days after purchasing a gun to take possession of the weapon. This is meant to prevent heat-of-the-moment suicides and homicides, but it has not been shown to be effective in other states. There are no credible studies that show waiting periods reduce suicides, homicides, or mass shootings. Next, Senate Bill 168 makes it easier to sue the gun industry in Colorado by rolling back extra protections against civil litigation for firearm and ammunition manufacturers and sellers. Already signed into law by Polis in late April, Senate Bill 169 makes it so that you must now be at least 21 years old to purchase a firearm in Colorado. Senate Bill 170 expands the state's red flag law, which allows judges to order the temporary seizure of firearms from people declared a significant risk to themselves or others. The bill added health care providers, mental health providers, district attorneys, and teachers to the list of people who can petition a judge to order a firearm seizure. There is a big concern here about due process and false allegations, as well as the violation of a Colorado citizen's constitutional rights. Lastly, Senate Bill 279 would make it illegal to manufacture or possess and or sell so-called ghost guns, handmade firearms that are untraceable because they don't have a serial number. I recognize that these bills were passed with good intentions, but you know what they say about good intentions and the path to somewhere being paved with them. We have very, very strict firearm laws in Colorado already, and they have not worked so far to reduce crime and gun violence. They are getting dramatically worse, in fact. And I just don't see how any of these laws will drastically flip that in a positive direction. All they do is put our constitutional Second Amendment rights in question and give the government the ability to decide if we are deserving of those rights or not. That's not how it's supposed to work, whether it's the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or the other various rights that we have afforded to us as citizens of this great country. So, we've covered most of the major categories. Housing, property taxes, TABOR, kids, abortion, crime, drugs, and guns. But this last one doesn't quite fit into any of those. Honestly, it's generally just a dumb idea and not a good use of the legislator's time. Senate Bill 259 says that Colorado casinos can now offer lines of credit to their customers. Critics of the bill worry it will make it easier for gamblers to go into debt. Yeah, duh. But supporters say it will prevent people from having to travel to casinos with large amounts of cash? Well, that's interesting. Last I heard, you could get a credit card or use a debit card and get more cash at the casinos. Between our laissez-faire relationship to drugs in Colorado and now us cozying up to legal gambling, we can expect to get some of the fruits of that labor added to the mess that we're already in. It's just shocking that our legislature focused on this bill, especially when there are so many more critical things happening in our beautiful state. So, my message to voters now, when politicians tell you who they are, believe them. Jared Polis told us how he would govern back in 2018, then he showed us how he governed for four years before voters gave him a second term. He grew the size of government and our bureaucracies here by 25% in the first term. He took our rights away during COVID. He gave it to the bureaucrats. Crime and drug problems have skyrocketed while he has been in charge of our state. Our kids' ability to read, write, and do math at grade level has dropped in his term. Teen suicide and drug addiction rates are some of the highest in the nation here in Colorado. Our roads are a mess. It's become unaffordable to live here. And forget about the ability to raise a family or run a business without the government constantly intervening. Now even more so after this last session. The legislature has a supermajority, and with a governor that drives their agenda, there is nothing stopping them from passing common-sense laws that solve some of these terrible problems here. Instead, we have this hot mess of a legislative session that will only drive Colorado more into the ground. So, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Well, I'm hoping that today's guest can shed some light on that. 
They're joining me today, despite being bruised, beat up, and exhausted from the fight they've been up to in the past 120 days, because they care about you and this state. They want you to know the truth about what happened there on the assembly floor and the lies they fought so hard to expose. They represent 46% of the people in this state, the conservative population or voters, but no one was listening to them. So let's get busy and talk to two folks that were on the front lines of these battles, Representative Brandy Bradley and House GOP Deputy Chief of Staff, Roger Hudson. Hello, everyone. I am so honored and excited to welcome my friend, Brandy Bradley, who is a warrior. She represents House District 39, which is the best district, right, Brandy? Because I live here. <laughs> All right. Well, Brandy, you just survived a brutal session down at the Capitol. It's your first year. You've got a long future ahead of you, but we want to hear your take, the good, the bad, the ugly about what it was like down there. The good? <laughs> <laughs> was there was there any there were a couple bills that passed that were good like the indecent exposure one such a no-brainer and 27 democrats voted against it like protecting pe pedophiles that's crazy that was like christmas for me though so those are postcards that should go out in a year in those districts you know, they made the case that it was protecting the mentally ill. And we had research and facts that showed that they are often the victim of a crime of indecent exposure. So it just, it's mind blowing. You know, I got up and told a personal story about something that happened to me when I was young that I had not told anyone about. I had to tell my mom the night before I went to say it. It's been 37 years and they still could, they could care less. That's what it seemed like. I mean, so many people went and testified at the Capitol or submitted testimony or went on Zoom to testify. It, I mean, they're looking at their phones. They're not paying attention. It doesn't seem to make any difference. How do we keep people engaged and helpful if they don't listen? Well, they don't listen. We have to vote them out. Honestly, we have to go into those districts we have to have some grassroots people that are willing to fight and willing to stand up. They're not listening. They're told how to vote. I had two different text messages when I had my COVID bill that was um, preventing minors from being vaccinated without criminal consent. And I had such a great case. We had such great testimony. And one of the Democrats said, I'm sorry, but you know how I have to vote. I mean, they're literally told how to vote. It's it. I have no words. Yeah. And um, for all the talk of Jared Polis being a libertarian and all about local control and giving freedom to the people, what a joke. I mean, every bill they passed took away our freedoms and made it harder to live in Colorado, raise a family, run a business. They pick winners and losers there. And this year, what we were seeing was often they'll run five bills at a time kind of going against a, a population of people. And this year was the landlord's. It was um, really trying to protect tenants, which I, I don't even know where that was coming from. And it was definitely going against small businesses and employers and um, fighting for employee rights, which most small businesses love their employees. We're small business owners and it was just inefficient. And I, I don't really know where they were coming from, honestly. Yeah, it didn't seem like they wanted to focus on the issues that are really critical in our state, like our kids' mental health and our lack of learning. 60% of kids in Colorado can't read, write, or do math. Wasn't discussed much at all. And the fentanyl issue. And, and in fact, they were passing bills that made it worse, that you can't support ICE. They can't renew contracts. They can't do more to stop the illegal flow of drugs and human trafficking into our state. The list just goes on and on. And the things that they focused on were mind boggling. Um, and the But the problem is the everyday Coloradan they were trying to run their lives and run their families. They don't have time to pay attention to what's happening down there. And like we just said, even if they do going down and testifying, it doesn't seem like they have a voice. So how does, how does it feel to be a voice for the people um, down there that really have a different opinion about how things should be done? Well, yeah, I mean, we represent 46% of the population, the conservative party, and in most of the landmass in Colorado. And for them to shut down our ability to represent our communities with Rule 14 and Rule 16 is, is very frustrating. I will tell you, I know people are frustrated that their voices aren't being heard, but you are doing something. You're getting other people to get down there and testify. And the more we do that, the more we get the message outside of that golden dome. And I'm really proud of people like you and 
and other conservative radios that are trying to get the word out. We have to wake people up and let them know. It's funny, my husband has a um, tree company and whenever he goes to different people's homes, he'll tell them what's going on at the Capitol and they have no idea. And, and sometimes these are unaffiliated Democrats. When he says, you know, my wife is running a parental rights bill because at 12, you can have an abortion or have gender affirming surgery or opt back into a mental health school assessment. Um, at the age of 12, behind your parents' backs, people's minds are blown yeah. on any side of the aisle. Brainy, what um, were people most fired up about this session from the constituent perspective? You know, I thought it was going to be guns, and rightfully so. I think people are just tired of their Second Amendment rights being stripped. The abortion bills were definitely um, very frustrating for people because we already have some of the most liberal abortion laws in the state. How much further can we get? But I'll tell you, the land use bill, people were very fired up about that. And the wolves. I, I got a lot about the wolves as well. And I'm hearing that he's going to veto the wolf bills. Wow. He does not have a pulse on the people of Colorado. Brandy, what was a day like? What's a day like in your life now? Managing your family and your business and being down at the Capitol. You guys worked such long hours. We did. I don't think people understood. I think a lot of, even my friends thought that I was just doing that part-time. I mean, we were working until 10 o'clock at night, getting there at seven o'clock in the morning. You're talking about 14, 16, 18 hour days and then driving home, which it's not efficient and it's not safe. So why does that happen? Like, how do we get back to a more reasonable way to manage the legislature? I mean, is it going to every other year? Is it longer sessions or is it the same, just being more disciplined and more collaborative and working together on bills? I think a little bit of both. Stephanie Locke, um, the representative from Penrose, tried to pass a resolution to bring to the people. Why do we need 600 new bills every year? The, <laughs> we don't. We don't. It is the most, you know what I think? People that run for legislation should have to have run a small business because they have clearly no concept about how an efficient um, machine runs. It, it's like on Monday nine hours of doing nothing while we waited for them to prepare amendments for 303 and knowing nothing that was going to come our way. And we literally just sat around. I mean, those are times that I could be working and doing things to make money for my household. Yeah. Or spending time with your kids, going to their baseball games or, you know, respecting the fact that you have a family also and forcing you guys to work on weekends and just, I mean, the games that they played were incredible. Um, what was it? What's it like on a relationship basis? Do you guys talk outside of there? Like as a region, there were nine of us and we spent a lot of time together. And obviously there were five Democrats, four Republicans. Overall, we got along pretty well. Is that the case or is it very contentious down there? You know, I think for me, it was trying to spread that mustard seed. And so trying to find little things that I could talk to people with. You have to have a short memory. I don't typically have that. If you vote against a parental rights bill and you're going against what I think is the best way to protect children, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. So that one took me a while, but yeah, you, you just have to have a short memory and try to find some sort of balance um, and bipartisanship. If you want to pass bills that, you know, will help your community. Um, but it takes a lot of grace. Grace is a good word. Boy, you have a lot of grace. You have a lot of fire and you have a lot of grace. I know that about you. And I have a lot more fire than grace. So. <laughs> well, that's why we get along well. <laughs> um, Brandy, what does your summer look like? How do you spend your time now that you're back in your district? Um, we are going to host a town hall on May 22nd. I have um, a golf tournament for Parker and Parker for um, their um, rehab facility there. Just being in the community, just being with constituents, learning what's happening with them, the bills that they want to see, legislation uh, trying to pass, and then soaking up time with my four boys. I can't wait. Brandy, one of the things we like to do on Unleashed is talk about a truth and a lie. What is a truth that you want people to know and a lie that you want people to know about what happened in the last 120 days? Um, probably the truth is that we all do really get along the 19 on the conservative side. And there's some really good Democrats that I have found some common ground with. So, mm -hmm. you know, to say that this is contentious, 
um, place all the time is just not true. And then the lie when we walked out in protest um, the other night because they would not let our amendment be heard. And then they rule 16 us. So we could not speak on their surprise amendments for 303. Um, we walked out and we stayed on state property because technically if the sergeant at arms wanted to bring us back in, we would have to go back in. So we we're on state property and Polish yesterday put it out in the media that we went to a bar. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> he is a piece of work. He oh, was probably at the bar crying over his beer because his big land use bill got killed. So all this power he apparently has didn't do a whole lot of good there. But thank goodness it didn't pass. <laughs> that was my favorite part of session that 213 did not pass. Yay. Let's take the small wins. <laughs> That's right. Brandy, I don't want to keep you. You need to get some rest. My gosh, you just got done, what, 24 hours ago. So we so appreciate you coming on and just giving us a little perspective of what it's like. And if people want to reach out to you or give you some feedback, how do they do that? Oh, I would love that. And my email is repbradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y at gmail.com. They can always call me 303-961-8561. Happy to talk anytime. So well, and I hear now you can block people on social media. So that ought to be fun to watch play out with all the politicians. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, what's funny. I, you know what? The more the merrier. If you want to come onto my page and, and tell me things that you don't like, but when I offer, you know, let's go have coffee. It's amazing the silence that you get after that. I know. I agree. Every time somebody's mean on social media, I'm like, let's just talk. Let's pick up the phone. I think one out of a hundred has taken me up on that offer. Right. And it worked out great once we got on the phone, right? Like talk as human beings, but well, thank you, Brandy, for all you do. We are so proud of you and grateful for all the work that you put in. And um, if you need our support, you just shout out and we'll, we'll let the masses know. Okay. Thanks, Heidi. I'm grateful for you as well. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Well, I am very excited to welcome Roger Hudson, my friend and a warrior you are on the Castle Pine City Council, but you're also the Deputy Chief of Staff for the Colorado GOP oh. House Reps, which, wow, what a group. Roger, you've just been through the ringer. Tell us a bit about what the last 120 days have been like. Well, I, uh, I was a young man years <laughs> <laughs> ago. Uh, now I'm, uh, I'm the last man here cleaning up. It feels like you're at the House of Representatives. Uh, what has it been like? Uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been such a journey. Even as I was walking around the house before uh, you and I started this conversation, I just kept thinking, what was it like 120 days ago? Because uh, we started off debating uh, some really slow bills, and then we we uh, there were just you know average little bills, and then we built into this really crazy ideological stuff that was uh, just got progressively crazier. Like we started with. Uh, the gun stuff that was really odd. Like I, I remember sitting there on the bench because you know, staff sits on this big leather bench that's been there for a hundred years. And uh, I remember the first gun bill that we started with, um, it was rolled out by, I want to say bird, I think Burger story and little small women and they're very quiet. And she started off by saying, yes, this is for rural Colorado. And I'm thinking, oh, yay, rural Colorado. And she starts describing how they're going to limit guns I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound very good for rural Colorado. And uh, but it's good. It's going to be good uh, because property owners have asked for this 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 uh, this new law. And uh, it's because HOAs. I'm like, HOAs in rural Colorado. That doesn't sound good either. It's going to give county commissioners the ability to limit gun use on private property. And then here you hear it because of noise. What? <laughs> I that don't think a, that's a factor out in rural Colorado. Uh, right. And then, then we find out it's second homes for people who are maybe from out of state who are now in uh, rural Colorado uh, who don't like gun noise uh, near their homes uh, uh, as they're vacationing. That was the first uh, of the uh, gun bills that we heard. And I was like, holy Toledo, this is going to be a long session. So um, that was the first of uh, the uh, ideological bills. And by the way, we got rid of that one. But uh, it, uh, it, was, uh, it was a painful session. I got to tell you, it was uh, painful as a Republican, a conservative to sit here and be called every name in the book. I have uh, some that you can't repeat in polite company. It was, it was a little tough, a little tough. And Roger, what was it like to be there as a Coloradan, as someone who has a family and a business? And, you know, really, I, I just, 
I don't even know where to start with the limitations they put on our freedoms, on our ability to run our businesses, our lives. Right. Well, you know, I, you know, the interesting things is you you listen to a lot of it, and you have to, uh, especially when you get to abortion and the transgender issues, because and, you know we have we have uh, I think she was the first transgender representative in any house across the uh, across the country, and that's uh, Representative Tatone, who I, personally I actually do really like Tatone. She uh, uh, was a geologist uh, before elected, um, so very. Um, uh, had a very robust career, used to jump out of helicopters to go down to oil platforms and um, has a gun uh, locker in her home, um, has a, uh, I'm a, uh, ARs in her, in her gun locker. I mean, I mean, has a robust uh, personal life. So to hear her talk about her life and then to hear the laws that she puts forward don't quite match up as you hear personally and then legislation. So to hear some of the ideological things that are said here and then hear them argued. You don't hear so many women. And remember, this is the most, this is historic. We have an historic number of women serving in this legislature. That means an historic number of moms in this legislature. So to hear so many historic, I hate to keep using that word, but it really is, uh, abortion bills, um, that advocate the killing of children, um, that talk about children and the lack of rights for the unborn in this legislature. Um, and they really are metrocentric uh, individuals. So they, they come from a, a, a set of, of, of an area that really doesn't represent all of Colorado. So it, it's hard for the rest of us to kind of relate to. And so I think that they come from a good place uh, personally um, to tone in that entire group, but I don't think it represents the majority of Colorado. So it's hard to jump to that place that they're coming from with that legislation. So it's really difficult for our caucus when we come to the well for us to find a middle ground anywhere in those bills. It just, it's, it's almost impossible. Yeah, Roger, it, did, it seemed like the topics that were discussed or being debated weren't the ones that everyday Coloradans are dealing with, like their pocketbook, inflation, um, our kids not learning what they need to learn, the teen mental health crisis, their uh, fentanyl crisis, the immigration issue, the human trafficking issue. There's so many important things going on, and we were debating bills that really aren't going to make a difference in the lives of everyday Coloradans. What was the very worst bill in your mind that passed? that got through? You know, I, gosh, there were so many. Um, I mean, it, it, property taxes about killed me, um, mainly only, for several reasons. One, and, and thank goodness it's a ballot measure because I, I think the citizens of Colorado innately have always understood that Tabor was fundamentally important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, it has saved our economy over and over again. Although I think we've done done such a terrible job educating people to what is really important about Tabor. I mean, everybody, when they talk about Tabor, they always talk about the refunds. Um, Tabor, to me personally, has nothing to do with a refund. Yeah. Uh, to me, Tabor is, is, is at its core, it gives the citizens of Colorado the ability to say no. It says to your government, no, you cannot tax me without my permission. No, you cannot grow any larger. You cannot get any bigger. You can't do this, that, and the other unless I, as a citizen, say you can. That's the genius of Tabor. It's not a check. It's not a refund. I mean, I understand the importance of that. That's my money. You can't spend it unless I tell you you can. But that's not the genius of Tabor. The genius of Tabor is I, as a citizen, get to say, no, you don't get to grow any bigger unless I say you can. And that's what's great about Tabor. And that's what Polis and the Democrats hate. They hate that they can't get any larger unless you, as a citizen, say you can. And I tell you, I sit in this hall. They want to get bigger. Every, every, every day they come here, they compete on how many bills they can get passed today. They high five each other on some of the silliest things you've ever seen. Uh, you want to pay for an extra plastic bag? Absolutely. You want a 27 delivery fee, a 27 cent delivery fee? Oh, yes. Let's do that. Cage bird 
eggs, what the heck? Let's do that. So all these bills that we laugh about, they high five each other. That's growing government. These little enterprises, awesome. You know, it's it's our ability to say no to government is is what's wonderful about Tabor. And it's what's unique about Colorado. So to me, 303, that just about killed me. Although some of the stuff that was so anti-child, just I mean, beyond abortion, just um, 1135, just couldn't imagine why you would not say indecent exposure, knowingly uh, masturbating in front of a child uh, in a park or in a playground or near a school should not be felonized. And we had one representative in this hall filibuster against children for pedophiles. Who does that? Who? And we said, we we're stunned. I mean, what we have to sit and listen. We have to sit and listen to that. How do you listen for three hours as someone filibusters against children for masturbating knowingly in front of children? That's and disgusting. the argument is, the argument is, we don't want to give them a felony because they may need housing later. You don't want to give them a felony because they may need to get a job. It's hard to listen to. Yeah, it seems like kids were um, only on the agenda to provide harm to their relationships, to their parents and their their schools, their families. And our kids are hurting right now. As you know, we have one of the top suicide rates in the country for children, one of the top um, drug addiction rates for children. Uh, we are leaving parents out of the conversation. There's a couple lawsuits oh. going on in Colorado about parents not knowing what was happening. Erin Lee and her family are going up against uh the beast of government to try and take back parental rights. I'm very proud of her for doing that, her and her husband. This is a special moment in history for parents to stand up and protect their rights as the ones who direct the health care and well-being of their children. And one of the bills that passed yeah. was a seemingly innocuous bill about let's do a mental health survey of kids. And if they're 12 or older and their parents don't want them doing the survey, they can still opt in and they can get mental health support counseling without their parents approval if they need to that's insane like what why on earth do they think that a, a school administrator even a teacher we love our teachers but nobody knows their child better than a parent and to put that wedge there is one of the most damaging bills i think that was passed in the legislature this session I, I, I don't understand, and, and I'm not the only one in our caucus, and, and we have some just incredibly strong parents in our caucus, not just women, but also our dads as well, yeah. uh, very outspoken, just they were also just uh, vehemently opposed to that. Why would you not want to include parents uh, in this conversation? I'm Democrat, Republican, no matter who you are, you're a good parent. I, I don't doubt that the Democrats in, in this hall are, aren't good parents. Why would you not want them working with our teachers? To make sure we respond to mental illness, why would you not want that? Why would you, why would you fight against that? Um, I, I I understand that they want to protect uh, possibility that there might be some physical thing going on in the home, maybe that you want uh, protection for a child that wants to maybe tell or 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 maybe there might be something else going on that there's an avenue that a child can have someone safe that they go tell someone to, but that's not that's not the average. Oh, and that already um, exists. Know, if, if a child's having yes, issues, then yes. there's mandatory reporting by teachers, by staff, and yes. they can go through child welfare services and get the help and support that they need. This is not about right. that, is it? It's about driving no. a wedge between parents and children, just like they're right. trying to drive a wedge between the consumers and the employees and the small business owners, just like they're trying right. to drive a wedge between mayors of cities and city councils. <laughs> And county commissioners deciding what's best for their communities and the actual constituents. It's shocking to me that these bureaucrats, especially King Polis, think that they know better than local municipal leaders. They know better than parents. They know better than small business owners. They know better than employers how to do things. They don't know how to do squat when it comes to those things. And they're making our lives incredibly difficult. 
Right. Uh, there was nothing more frightening than 213 to me as somebody who sits on a city council. We were, I had a city council meeting last night. You and I know because I, I was texting you late last night as I was actually dealing with land use. It was like, how is this possible? It's like, God <laughs> has a sense of humor. Uh, it's like, how is this possible? Uh, but it's really true because if, the, if Denver is doing these, these mandates, I, there's no way they can keep track of the things that I deal with every single day. Cause I mean, we've run out of water in some of our wells. It's if you mandate high density subsidized housing in some of my areas in my city, I don't know how I'm going to provide water. I don't know how I'm going to provide uh, just basic services like schools and transportation to and from. Um, so by mandating that uh, in my area, it's not like I don't want uh, some affordable housing in my my city because I do. I'd love to have uh, uh, Douglas County deputies be able to afford homes in Castle Pines, which my homes are pretty expensive. I know I'm still paying the mortgage. <clears throat> uh, so I would lo I'd love to have wait staff there, teachers there. Uh, I think there's great value in having um, those those individuals who work in my community to live there too. I think that would be great. I would love that. Uh, but I don't have space right at the moment to be able to do that. But the answer isn't paying Denver to do another study in my city. And by me having to pay for this, and that's what this thing is, I have to do reporting and studies. And I have to send all that to Denver for them to make decisions to then tell me where I need to put stuff. Uh, I don't need more bureaucrats in Denver telling me what I need to do in my city. I mean, how silly is that? And then the beautiful homes that I have in my city and all around Colorado, uh, what this does is means that the house across my street can now be scraped and there's now a, a, an apartment building yeah. or, you know, or a weird complex or something else. So nothing looks the same or everything looks exactly the same all around Colorado. It just, it ruins everything that's unique about Colorado. It's just... We would hate it. We would absolutely hate this. Absolutely hate it. Well, and I mean, elections have consequences, right? And we're seeing that play out right now. I mean, we can talk about the governor election, but more, more um, recent is like the importance of electing your local representatives, whether it's your city council, your county commissioner, your house representative, your state senator. I think one of the most important things we can suggest that people do going forward is if you don't like these policies, then start with your local politics, your local government getting involved. What do you say about that? Right. It's absolutely true. And you know what? I'm going to take blame for that. I, uh, I think we have done a horrible job at not talking about the issues that matter. And I, I just ran for House District 39. Matter of fact, I think you just talked to the person I ran against, which is Brandy Bradley, who uh, I supported here on the floor, who did an amazing job in this building. I've got to give her total props. Uh, she went to the well every single day and fought for my district, House District 39. Uh, she whooped butt every day here, um, has done better and better every single day. Um, I hope I helped a little bit. Um, but I don't know that when we were campaigning against each other, that we talked about the things we should have been talking about. We should have been talking about the things you and I are now talking about. We didn't anticipate the what the Democrats were going to do, which was try to take away land use. We didn't talk about that with our citizens. We didn't talk about water, which ended up being a study. <laughs> we're, we're running out of water in Colorado. We didn't talk about that. We talked about things that have nothing to do with Colorado. We're still debating over Donald Trump, whether or not he won an election or not. You know what? That didn't really happen in this hall. I mean, that may be a really important issue, and I'm happy to talk about that over dinner, but we didn't debate that here. We certainly didn't vote on it. What we voted on has consequences here, not just for this, this session, but for our kids. Losing Tabor, that is, that is massive. That's for like 30 years massive. This is the largest tax increase in Colorado history. You think your tax bill is high? Now, I've looked at the math. It is monstrous in 10, 20 years. I may have to leave, leave Colorado, and I had I planned to die here. And I, I actually may die once I open one of these bills. And I mean, it's, it's truly 10, 20 years, you're not going to recognize your tax bill. It's going to be so high. Uh, it is the largest tax hike in Colorado history is what this is actually. We didn't debate any of those things. We didn't debate whether or not Democrats were protecting our children or, or, or whether or not it was going to be legal 
to masturbate in front of a child in Colorado. We didn't do that. We should have been. We have to, because those are the things that matter. Well, we have all summer to reconnect with our constituents and and get a voice out there about what happened in the last 120 days. Tell the truth about, um, you know, the reality of these bills and how they're going to affect your life. So, Roger, every guest I ask, give me one truth and one lie that you'd like people to know, whether it's about the session or what's happening as a city council person. What would you like to say about that? Same, same answer. Same answer. You know, the truth and the lie, the truth and the lie is this. The representatives that work in this building for you, the Republicans, they work really, really hard. They work hard for you every single day. I know all 19 of them. Good press, bad press, everything that you've heard. They have good hearts, good souls. Every single one of them are good conservatives. I've talked to all of them. They love this state. They love conservative values. They will do what's best for this state. Support them, love on them, do what you can for them. Email them when you don't like what they're doing. Email them when you love what they're doing. If you hear something bad, tell them. When you hear something good, tell them. And if you don't like what I'm saying, good God, please tell me. (laughs) I'll always always answer you. Swear, always answer you. Roger, what's the biggest lie that was told in this session? Oh my goodness. Um, there's so many. Um, that we don't love Colorado, that we're trying to kill Democrats, that we are murderers, that we're racist, that we're homophobes, that we're, uh, which is the funniest of them all, by the way, uh, that, uh, that we hate America, that we're anti-God, that we hate children, that we hate that we hate. It seems like that's their only defense. That's their only defense. And nothing could be further than the truth. I know all 19 of those representatives. I know you very well. And we are all doing what we're doing because we care so deeply about the future of Colorado and our children, our grandchildren. And Roger, thank you for all you're doing and the battle that you've been through. Hopefully you get a little time off, go grab a glass of wine, even for a break. But thank you. We all are super grateful for your work down there. I appreciate it. These people love you here, and I've loved you for 20 years, so thank you so much, Heidi. Oh, thanks, Roger. The feeling's very mutual. You guys take care, and we'll see you around out in the field. (laughs) Thank you.